Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hello and welcome to episode 36. I'm so happy that you're here. Have you missed me? Because I have missed you. Not sure if you noticed, but I've been taking a bit of a break, but it's because I've been working on a few projects that I am so excited about. One of them that I'd like to share before we jump into today's show is a program that I created with my brother called The Tapping Solution for Financial Success and Personal Fulfillment. You may listen to this podcast because you followed my work with tapping, or maybe you just stumbled across this podcast and you have no idea what tapping is. Tapping is a powerful stress relief technique where you tap on meridian points to relieve stress. That's a very simplistic way to describe it, but I'm doing it quickly here because I want to tell you about this program called the Tapping Solution for Financial Success and Personal Fulfillment. What does tapping have to do with financial success? A lot. We're not talking about tapping here. What we're really talking about is stress relief and addressing the thoughts and the beliefs that are holding you back. When it comes to our finances, when we are feeling overwhelmed, it is so hard to be resourceful and innovative and creative, and we can't panic our way out of these problems. And throughout our lives, we also begin to pick up certain beliefs around what it means to be successful and what it means to be financially abundant. And so you may have certain limiting beliefs that you aren't even consciously aware of, but these beliefs cause you to continuously sabotage your own success. So this is the person who knows what they should do, but they just aren't doing it, or they have a little bit of success and then they fall back into old destructive patterns. We have to do the inner work to get those outer results. So if you've been struggling with your finances, check out this program. It's a seven-week program. I'm so proud of it. And you can do that by first checking out a free ebook. Now, if, even if you know the program's not for you, doesn't matter. Get this ebook because it's free and it's awesome. It is called 103 Disempowering Beliefs About Money and Success and How to Eliminate Them in Minutes. So all you have to do is go to thetappingsolution.com forward slash 103. That's 103 for 103 disempowering beliefs, and you can download that right away. If you are listening on the website from thetappingsolution.com, I'll put the link below. Um, And again, 103. Simple, do it, enjoy it. Now, today's interview is all about eating for energy. I hear so many people complain about not having enough energy. And when it comes to fulfilling our goals and our dreams, we gotta have the energy for it. So I am speaking to my friend Yuri, who is a nutrition, fitness, and fat loss expert. He's a New York Times bestselling author of the All Day Energy Diet and the All Day Fat Burning Diet. I assure you, this is not some like crazy fat diet. What we're really talking about are lifestyle shifts that we can do to see 
the most results. And what's so cool about Yuri is that he was a former professional soccer player. And even though he seemed really healthy from the outside, he wasn't. And he had his own little health crisis, not even little, he had a health crisis. And it brought him down this path. And so we talk about some very common myths around energy and around health. For example, the myth that the more you work out, the better. It's not true. We'll address that and so much more. This is all about being able to get a lot of energy and having your diet support you in that. So enjoy. And if you love it, spread it. This is an act of love, so spread the love. Welcome, Yuri. Thanks for being with us. I'm happy to be here, Jess. Thanks for having me. Well, as you may know, I hate diets. I have a had really? horrible, <laughs> yes. I'm sure I'm the only one on the planet. No, um, yeah. I think we all hate diets, but some of us think that um, we need a diet or a diet will be the answer. And what I really like about your approach, even though sometimes, uh, you know, you do say all energy diet, you're not talking about, this isn't just some like quick fix. What I love about your work is there's a lot of guidelines that we can then use for our entire life. And what I'd really like to focus on is this idea of eating for energy, because so many of us are suffering with waking up tired and hitting a slump during the day. And then because we're tired, we reach for foods that aren't really that great for us. So I really want to have this discussion on how we can improve our energy. A great place to start is just to get clear on the problem. Why do you think there are so many people who are struggling with their energy level and just feel so tired and drained all the time? Yeah, it's a good question. It's kind of weird because I don't think we really, people understand they don't feel as energetic as maybe they don't even realize they could feel really energized. Um, but I don't think people understand the, 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 the gravity of the problem because everybody around them is experiencing the same thing. So, there's a number of issues. Um, first and foremost, we have to look at stress, right? So stress is, if we look at stress as the big umbrella over this whole problem, and underneath the umbrella, we have a couple different branches, which could be like the psychological component, the emotional stress, which you guys do an amazing job of dealing with, with the tapping stuff. And that obviously wears down on our mental capacity and it kind of wears down on the adrenal glands and all the different stress pathways. But there's also the food stress, right? So eating the wrong foods. Exercise can also be a form of stress. The wrong type of exercise, like people doing CrossFit seven times a week type of exercise. So we could also look at environmental toxins coming in and wearing down our body's ability to kind of function properly. For instance, if our cells are too toxic and they're not able to produce energy efficiently, all of these little things can add up over time to, to really kind of wear us down. So... It's tough to say that there's there's one thing. We could also look at, within the food category, specific food sensitivities, right? Why do people feel tired after they have have pasta? Well, there could be, you know, a blood sugar thing going on there. There could be a sensitivity to gluten going on. Uh, So there's a a number of different reasons why we have low energy. But the, the, the really cool thing is that it's, and it almost seems unbelievable, is that by making a couple small tweaks, you can have more energy than you've probably ever experienced in your life in the space of a few days. And I don't say this to be, you know, um, overdramatic. I'm just saying this because we've led tens of thousands of people from, you know, from like zombie land to feeling unbelievable. 
Yeah. I think what's so amazing about these transformations is I know for myself when I began to change my diet and more importantly, learn how my body dealt with food because I think every body's different. So there is... You, I think it's important to experiment when it comes to making these changes. But the biggest shift I had was I just didn't know I even felt as bad as I did because it was my normal. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like I, Once I started eating better, I was like, wait, this is how people feel? And I feel bad. I have more energy now than I did when I was a teenager. I look back at when I was a teenager, and I had a lot of food sensitivities that I didn't know about, and it really impacted my mood. And so – when we're making changes like this, I think it's important to get some motivation, some like why, like why, why do we want to do this? And weight loss is just not enough of a motivation. I think it, it can definitely help. But I think also thinking about the way these changes impact our emotions, because they do impact our emotional health, our mental health, uh, and also our energy level and realizing like, yeah, it just can be so much better than we realize. And when we're so, there's so many people out there that are struggling, they don't even know it because it's it's been their normal. Yeah. And as you said, I, I think what we ultimately do everything for is to feel a certain way. Right. So if we want to lose weight, it's, you know, the superficial reason is because I want to look better in the mirror or feel more attractive to my spouse or, or whoever else. But deep down inside, we, we want to feel like a better version of ourselves. We want to feel happy again. We mm. want to feel this, this, this just vitality and understand that whether we're buying a car or whether we're, you know, buying somebody's affection or whatever it might be, like we're doing everything for a feeling. And even though energy is this kind of qualitative, intangible, tough to measure type of thing, you just feel, you just know when you feel better. And, and that's, I think we're all striving to be that better version of ourselves uh, and maybe we've had a glimpse of it in the past. Maybe we haven't. But once you've seen the light, mm-hmm. it's very tough to go back. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about food and exercise. Starting with food, what are some of the most problematic foods that dr- are draining people's energy? Yeah, I'll give a couple quick ones right off the top. Um, like things like MSG. Like definitely, you know, when you're having like Chinese food and takeout and stuff, it's loaded with MSG, which is monosodium glutamate, which is like a neuro, uh, an excitotoxin. It just does some weird stuff to your nervous system. Um, so try to avoid that. But from a from a from a bigger perspective, uh, let's look at some some more common foods. Uh, the two biggest ones that I talk about on a consistent basis, which drives people crazy, is uh, caffeine and sugar. And I'm going to I'm going to kind of group them together because they pretty much have the exact same effect inside the body. So caffeine, whether that's coming from coffee, from green tea, from Red Bull, from energy drinks, it's caffeine is caffeine. And what caffeine does is it's a stimulant. And so when I say caffeine, you can just sub in sugar, it's the same thing. Uh, a stimulant is going to kind of like bombard your adrenal glands which help your body deal with stress, and the adrenal glands respond by pumping out cortisol and adrenaline. So yes, you feel this initial surge of like, wow, I feel good. And that's why we tend to resort to those foods when we feel down because we we have that associate, we were conditioned to be like, oh, when I had that espresso or that coffee, I felt this jolt of energy and I want to feel that again. But the problem is that that's very short lived. And over time, when we continually bombard our adrenals with that type of stimulation, when you combine it with everything else going on in your life, it just becomes too much. And over time, the adrenals can wear down and they're not able to keep up with the demands of your life. And that's why over time, when you have 
something like adrenal fatigue or the development towards it, you have a very tough time dealing with stress. You get really exhausted after emotional upset and different you know, signs and symptoms like that. So caffeine and sugar are two big culprits that we definitely want to avoid at the very minimum you know, switch to a decaf coffee, Swiss water decaf. It's just a nice step in the right direction. And I find it very interesting. Like I, I'm actually, it's actually very, I'm not going to say, um, hypocritical, but interesting. I'm drinking a coffee as we're, as we're doing this interview, (laughs) (laughs) it's a decaf coffee. So, um, I do drink decaf occasionally, but the thing is when I talk about caffeine, people get really, really defensive and I'll get, you know, we'll post something up on our Facebook page and all of a sudden people that are not scientists will, <laughs> will, will start posting studies from like PubMed in the, in the comments. And I'm like, hold on, you're really addicted, aren't you? When you have to support your addiction with like scientific research that you just happen to, you know, come across. So understand that caffeine is the most used drug in the world. And if you're not totally convinced that it's a drug, uh, let me ask you a couple questions. What happens if you stop drinking caffeine? Do you feel better or do you feel worse? Naturally, you feel worse. Right? We go through these withdrawal symptoms, which is a hallmark sign of an addiction. Um, the second thing is that we need more of it to get that initial feeling that we once had. Right? So it's, whether we're talking about cocaine or, or anything else, it's the same thing with caffeine. So there's a number of really interesting signs and, um, and criteria that caffeine would fall into, whether we're talking about any kind of drug addiction or caffeine. So just understand that it's not something normal that is required for you to feel energized. So when you wake up in the morning, it's not like, I need my coffee to get started. That statement should not exist in the English language, right? That, that signifies a problem. So caffeine and sugar, we definitely want to avoid those. And along the lines of sugar, I'll just add in one more which is gluten slash wheat. Uh, So wheat, especially like refined um, carbs, like breads and pastas and cereals, are going to get broken down into sugar in your body very quickly. The other thing, though, is that gluten specifically is very problematic for a lot of people. And aside from the stuff that can happen to your blood sugar and the fact that it's broken down into, into sugar very easily, gluten specifically is a protein that's very problematic for our digestive systems, but also because of the fact that it actually mimics, um, its molecular structure is very similar to the structure of our thyroid tissue. So over time, if we're constantly bombarding our body with gluten, our body can, hopefully not, but sometimes this can happen, something called molecular mimicry, whereby the immune system can confuse what it's attacking. So it can believe over time that your thyroid tissue is actually gluten and it can attack the thyroid tissue. Now, I'm not saying it's cause and effect, but there's definitely a correlation. And this can lead to things like Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune uh, version of hypothyroidism. So, and again, just from an energy perspective, if your thyroid is sluggish and not functioning properly, then your metabolism shuts down. You're going to have a tough time losing weight. You're going to feel very tired and sluggish and you're just not going to feel good. So, you know, the foods that we eat and don't eat make a, over time can make a profound difference on um, our body's ability to just function properly. Right. So I have cut out gluten from my diet, but just years and years ago, and it made such a profound impact on my life. But it, but I'm not, I don't have celiac, right? Mm-hmm. So I have not ever taken a test that says I have a problem with gluten. 
the problem is just incredibly clear in in my, I can feel the difference. And I also can feel a really big difference in my mood for my emotional health. And I do come from a family where on both sides of my family, there's been um, depression has been a common theme. And when I cut out gluten, it made a huge difference in my energy. And I was recently speaking to a cousin who's having some challenges. And I said, listen, why don't you just give this a try? Why don't you experiment with it? Because the difference for me was so night and day. And he said, well, no, I mean, I did. I did go to the doctors and they told me that I don't have an issue with gluten. So I want to hear your insights. I mean, if our doctor is saying that, like, no, you're, you should be fine with gluten, do you feel like there's a spectrum when it comes to sensitivities to these things. And, uh, you know, how, how does that work? Yeah, well, the way I see it is like gluten is, it's funny because my perspective is a little bit different than like a dietitian's or a medical doctor who are both educated along the same kind of allopathic um, path. And the way I see it is like, what benefit is gluten providing your body? Like, what is the benefit of eating bread? Well, because people love it, so they don't want to cut it out unless they have a good reason to. Exactly, right? So it's like what, you know, when people talk about, you know, oh, I can't give up my bread or I can't give up my my pasta, I mean, there's some really good alternatives. I mean, you can have almond flour breads and, um, you know, quinoa pastas and stuff like that. But the thing is, you know, gluten, you know, the the kind of the, the gold standard is to do a genetic test, which would identify the DL, um, Oh my god! I just totally forgot. I just totally blanked on the gene. Um, <laughs> I apologize for that. Is it like the MH? Well, there's. Oh my god! I just, well, this is kind of embarrassing. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But there's, there's a genetic test that basically will really give you the whether you're you can have it or not based on your genetic uh, makeup. If that's the case, if you have that gene, then you probably should not be, um, you should not be having gluten. However. If you're not, you know, if that test doesn't come back positive, that doesn't mean that there's not other ways that your body is reacting to it because there is a number of different pathways that sensitivities and intolerances can show up, but we're only really testing for maybe one or two of them. Mm-hmm. So just because your doctor says, oh, you don't have the oh, HLADQ gene, that's, that's what it's called. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there you go. So if you don't have that present or if that's not the issue, then that doesn't necessarily mean that you're kind of clear, you know, and, and off to the races. There could be other pathways that could be, um, you know, at different levels of the immune system that are reacting to uh, the gluten or the protein specifically. So, but again, like, as you mentioned, I believe the best way to just figure this out for yourself is, and I'm the same way, like, if I have gluten, I notice my mood starts to get, like, I start getting really crummy. Like, it's not, um, not like full on rage, but I can feel myself becoming a bit more short tempered and a little bit odd. Um, yeah. I become angry. Like I, yeah, yeah I do. Exactly. I really, I really do. And I become really tired. Absolutely. So there you go. You don't really need a genetic or a, a, a laboratory test to tell right. you that that isn't normal, right? If yeah. you want to feel that way on a daily basis, by all means, you know, like do it. But if you want to feel better and you can self-identify and be like, Hey, I don't feel good when I have this, then just try it out. Like, it's not saying you have to cut it out, but it's like, just experiment and be like, Yes or no, this this makes me feel good or it doesn't make me feel good. And if you want to feel good, if you value feeling good, then the choices become a lot easier. I think it's also important to reframe the struggle that we have towards letting go of something. For example, when I looked at my the habit of 
emotionally eating and binge eating and just eating secretly, I did approach that emotionally with the tapping. And and I wrote a book about it. But I also in that book, write about how the things that we tend to binge on are things that we're also addicted to. Absolutely. And so there was a time where I could not have chocolate in the house or else I would eat it because it was an addiction. And now I can have sweets in the house and I don't, I forget, like I completely forget about them. But in order for me to get to that place, I had to do the emotional work. And the other aspect was it was I had to address the addiction, which meant taking a break from these foods that I was eating every day. And what was so shocking to me was how bad I felt without the sugar and the chocolate. Like where I, I remember even my hand shaking. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at that and saying, oh, my goodness, give me that chocolate. Like, I don't like this. I use that as proof to why the work was so important. The fact that I was struggling so much was the very sign I needed that I was doing the right thing. Exactly. So do you have any thoughts when you're speaking to someone and they're saying, you know, I, I really want to make a change but I find it really hard or I'm in the or right now I'm making that change and I just feel like I'm losing my mind. Mm -hmm. What do you say to someone to help them stay the course? Well, I think you brought up a great point because if you're feeling those symptoms when you're stopping the consumption of those foods and drinks and beverages, then that's a hallmark sign that you should probably not be consuming those. It's like if a crack addict stopped having crack, they would Mm -hmm. go through severe withdrawal and that doesn't mean they should be going back to the crack. So it's, it's actually funny you ask this because we just f- finished putting together this really cool process called the Craving Cure, which is kind of a framework that we use to help people overcome their cravings to, you know, whether it be sugar, carbs, chocolate, coffee, anything else, because it's the same process. And you, you touched upon the first thing, which is like you, you have to avoid the thing that you're addicted to. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of adding in as opposed to taking out in terms of our diet and food, but The reality is like if you're addicted to sugar, you can't add in all these other foods and miraculously stop being addicted to sugar. Like there's a period of time, a couple days, a week, two weeks, where you have to stop the consumption of that food because I tell people you crave what's in your blood. When you eat specific foods, there's specific changes physiologically in your body at the the level of your gut within your blood that there's, you know, we have different bacterial microorganisms that are going to crave those specific foods. And it's actually a really, really cool study. Um, It's 2015 in the Journal of Bioessays, landmark study. They showed that the bacteria in your gut, there's different, there's about 400 different types of microorganisms totaling, you know, several trillion, but they all have a an affinity for different foods. So they showed that people who are addicted to chocolate have a different bacterial makeup in their gut than those who don't. Mm. So it's kind of a catch-22. It's you eat the food that leads to the growth of a specific bacterial strain. And in turn, that bacterial strain makes you want to eat more of that food. Because for them, these little guys, these little bacteria, Like with anything on this planet that's living, its main goal is to survive and reproduce. So in order to do that, it needs more of its main fuel source, which in this case might be sugar or sugar or sugar or chocolate or anything else. So you have to go through a period where you're removing and starving that specific food source. And what I tell people is like, it's like if you're about to start working out and you've never worked out in your life, you have to be very honest (laughs) 
with what you're unrealistic about what you're about to embark on. It would be like a personal trainer who's starting to train a client who's never worked out and says, listen, we're going to do a workout today and you're never going to feel sore. You're going to feel amazing. That's an outright lie. Mm -hmm. But if you can go into it saying, listen, I know you've never worked out before and I just want to be very upfront with you and honest to be like, listen, your muscles, your body, they're going to take a little bit of time to get used to this. And there's this thing called delayed onset muscle soreness, which is probably going to kick in in about two days. After this workout, I just want to be upfront with you to let you know that's going to happen. That's normal. It's part of the process. The last thing I want you to do is feel that soreness and use that as a warning sign to stop working out. So it's really important for people to come into this process, whether it's getting rid of caffeine, sugar, or whatever changes they want to make, and be realistic that all change is slightly difficult initially. Like, you know, Taking off in that rocket ship from Cape Canaveral requires a lot of energy. But once it's in orbit around the planet, it's like autopilot, no thinking involved. And anything you do requires that initial effort and that initial focus, and it's uncomfortable. And again, I'm not here to sell magic pills, right? So like that's why I think there's a bit of a disservice when we're making miraculous claims saying this is going to you know cure you overnight because the reality is you're going to go through a few days where you don't feel your best but if you let people know in advance that's part of the process then when it happens and if it does it doesn't happen all the time but if it does they're like oh okay now i'm i'm experiencing what you know he was saying and i kind of get it it's part of the process and it's going to get better so it's very important to be realistic about it and the other thing is have faith in the process, right? If you're following a protocol that's going to help you get off a specific addiction or craving or, or any kind of change, assuming you're following some type of expert advice, you have to have faith that that process is the right process. And you have to have faith in yourself, right? So don't start second guessing, oh, is this going to work? It works. If it's worked for other people, it'll work for you. Just have faith in the process and continue along the path. If it's uncomfortable, that's fine. You have to have a bit of courage to go from where you are to where you want to be. And I think that's really, it's unfortunately, I think in the space of, you know, and marketing doesn't help, but in the space of trying to get somebody a result quickly, we tend to overlook the necessity of courage in this journey, which is, which is very important. Yes. Oh, it's such a great point. I was teaching a few weeks ago at Omega and uh, somebody was asking me about cravings and we were talking about our relationship with food. And one of the things that I said that she later came up to me and said that it impacted her the most was that I said, we have to remember when we're looking at our health that we have our bodies for our whole life. So if you're constantly obsessed with a diet or you're obsessed with doing a workout plan, but you're not thinking on how it can be sustainable, then then you always feel like you failed, right? Because you just have this like strict period of time and you think suddenly you'll arrive and then your life will be magical and then you'll never have to do this work again. Or, you know, you get some results and then people say, well, I just went back to the way that I was eating before. So uh, the reason I bring that up is is this idea of, hey, guys, we have to take care of our bodies our whole life. We have to move our bodies our entire life. It's not like a 10-day plan. It's our it's our every day. Yep. So I'm curious, yes, we're, we might do something that's a bit stricter for a certain amount of time to help jumpstart to support our body. But after we do have an experience like this where we cut these things out very drastically, how do you recommend 
moving forward? You know, because does that mean that you're never having any sugar? And how do you find just balance within your own life? Yeah, and that's a great question. It's funny because we deal with a lot of the same people, um, just maybe in different modalities, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've recognized is that there there tends to be kind of a, a four milestones in this kind of success path from like being just in a bad place food wise to being in control again. And the first thing is that you actually enjoy eating healthier foods. That's kind of mm-hmm. one of the first things that happens after you get out of this, oh my God, I need my chocolate or sugar. You actually start to enjoy the taste of like lettuce. Like it's just simple real food. And that's big because for a lot of, I mean, for a lot of people, uh, vegetables don't taste good because they're used to eating garbage, right? So naturally your taste buds are going to be very different. So the first milestone is that you kind of go through this phase of like, oh, I actually enjoy this. The second thing is that there's this understanding that you don't need the foods that you once gave up, right? So it's like, instead of feeling like you need the coffee or the sugar, you're at a point, and as you, you mentioned this before, where you can have the stuff in the house because you're at a point where you feel in control of your diet again and you feel in control of your body and you felt how good you can feel when you're cleaning things up and you're, there's, a be- there's a better relationship where you're in control instead of being possessed by that specific food. So. You know, those are the two kind of big hallmark shifts that people um, mm. tend to make along this journey. And what I tell people, I'm like, listen, like, for the, I can tell you or I can advise you on on how to eat and do all this stuff, and that's awesome. But the real power comes when you make the decision yourself. So when I walk people through a process to improve their dietary habits, and initially they're following kind of my guidance and they experience a change. What I recommend next is I'm like, okay, now you, you, you're kind of like, you feel the difference, right? Now try bringing the bread back in and then feel how you feel. Because when that happens, they're the ones who are like, oh my God, wow, what a difference this makes. Because I can say, listen, bread isn't good. Bread's going to drain your energy, whatever. But once they've kind of like climbed to the peak of the summit and then they're like, okay, now I'm good. I can feel what it's like to feel like normal and, and, and awesome. And now they can start incorporating some of those foods back in. That's when they start making the real big realizations like, oh my God, I don't even like the taste of coffee. I don't even like the, I don't even like the way I feel after I have bread. I don't crave, like it's, they come to their own realizations and that's where the true change happens uh, is when that is, is really internalized and they're the ones making the discoveries on their own. I love that. That's so well said. I think we have to begin to value the process as well more than the results. Like even have fun with that process of getting to that peak and then beginning to like eat eat some of that bread and notice how awful you feel. Because so often we're eating things and we're not even giving ourselves the space to go, how did that just make me feel? Because we're already jumping into the next thing we have on our list of things to do. So kind of enjoying that process of checking in with ourselves is so critical. So going back to this topic of eating for energy, we now are very clear that, you know, getting energy from coffee, it's it's not working. You know, mm-hmm. it's having these horrible side effects. Are there ways to eat, to drink, to be that can just give us more energy throughout our day? Yeah, I mean, I wrote the whole book on it, but it, like honestly, <laughs> I could sum it up in one like in one sentence, and it's um, it's not rocket science, and it's not going to be sexy. And if you're on the edge of your seat listening for like this magic thing you've never heard of, 
it's probably not going to come. So <laughs> the, the basis is really this, is without going into the physiological things that happen as a result of this, just understand that if you can get more plants into your body, so more vegetables specifically, your body is going to transform. Now, I know that doesn't sound so, oh my God, okay, I've heard this since, since kindergarten. But specifically, what I want you to focus on is if you did nothing else to your diet, but just add in one green smoothie or one green juice throughout your day, it would start to shift your body in a way that's going to revolutionize the rest of your life. It sounds very simple and basic. Um, there's very specific biological reasons that's very important. And again, without saying you have to be a vegan or like you have to give up meat or you have to do anything else, just focus on getting more greens into your body because greens are the foundation of energy. And like I'll keep it literally as simple as that. So green juices, green smoothies, um, you know, add in more, like add in, like if you're having dinner, just have a nice big green salad on the side. Over time, this makes a huge difference. And if you really want to, uh, to make a big shift, like our, in, in our, in our book, the all day energy diet, I take people through a seven day energy reset, which is pretty much plant-based. It's, I'm not saying you have to be a vegan or vegetarian. That's not, that's not what I'm condoning or um, promoting, but understanding that human body operates best when it's getting more nutrients in. Mm -hmm. And the best way to get more nutrients in is to eat more real foods. The majority of the nutrients we get in terms of nutrient density is gonna come from plants, right? Meat is gonna be animal products or they have their place for you know some protein and some other things, but the vast majority of the nutrients that are gonna protect our health and revitalize our energy are coming from plants. And the sad reality is that the North American on average is getting one and a half servings per day and we should be getting five to ten so if you have let's say one green smoothie you can get in four to five six servings right there and it's a really simple way to just ensure that you're giving your body the, the foundation of what it needs to really feel good again if someone's beginning to add more of these greens is there a certain time of the day that you find to be more effective i think it's a good practice to do it first thing in the morning when you have the most motivation. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but um, I know that by the end of the day, our, our willpower, our ability to make good decisions kind of goes down the drain. So, and this has been shown in a lot of studies where the more we use our decision-making, our restraints, our, our kind of internal battery, if you will, uh, our willpower goes down. So by the time we get home and we're trying to figure out what's for dinner, it's already too late. So that's why like whatever you're trying to do, whether it's an exercise thing or a dietary thing, try to get that in early in the day because that's when your level of motivation is highest. You've been recharged after a good night's sleep and you're most motivated to do something good for yourself in the morning. So if you can start your day with a green smoothie, that's probably the best time to do it because now you've started your day on the right foot. And yeah, you, you have that to- momentum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is great. Well, I want to ask you um, – Well, I have a few more questions, but uh, something that I have to ask you, because you brought it up very briefly in the beginning when I asked you, what are some of the things that can really drain our energy? And you said exercise, which I think some people would be surprised to hear uh, that to be an answer. How can exercise work against us? Well, I say this because of the fact that I studied this stuff in school for many, many years and I played pro soccer. So I have kind of firsthand experience. And the way I look at it is like, most pro athletes spend a lot of their time sleeping uh, because they have to, because their body is just like it needs to repair. And most pro athletes don't last beyond 35. And that's because their body just breaks down. You can't sustain a level of exercise for 15, 20 years or longer. 
So if we look at the average person's kind of daily regimen with respect to exercise, there's a spectrum, right? So if you do nothing, your body is just going to feel like stagnant. And think about this, like death is rigor mortis, right? Which is basically like you're totally locked up and you're immobile, like no movement. Life is movement. But there's a difference between crushing your body with exercise and moving your body. So I really get people to think about work out less, but move more. If you want to feel better, move your body, get more oxygen in. That's very, very important. So, you know, brisk walk, quick run, um, some type of workout to really get you huffing and puffing, get the oxygen circulating in your body. You're going to feel amazing. That's, you know, hands down, absolutely positively true. The, 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 we start getting into the gray zone when we start making that exercise, that type of exercise, which is a little bit more intense, a little bit more huff and puff, which I believe should be done about three, maybe four times a week and 20, 30 minutes max. You don't need to go more than that. The problem becomes when we start thinking that more is better mm-hmm. and we start doing two hours of cardio seven days a week or you know, doing these type of insane workouts all the time and we're like, we can't even get off the floor when we're done. That becomes very problematic, and especially for women, because there tends to be a tendency to rely more on cardio and the wrong type of cardio, which is just a lot of cardio, long duration, you know, type of, uh, you know, whether it's on the elliptical or the treadmill or running outside, because that long duration type of exercise is going to start to really ramp up cortisol in your body, and it's been shown to decrease the levels of T3 which is the active thyroid hormone in your body, which is obviously not good. So we want to focus on shorter types of workouts, 20 to 30 minutes that get your entire body involved. If you're using weights, which you absolutely should, um, assuming you can lift them properly and, and so forth. So body weight is a great place to start. But you want to get to a point, especially, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically to the women here, where you're not lifting the five-pound dumbbells for 50 reps, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you're lifting the 50-pound dumbbell for five reps, that's what you want to work towards is heavy weights, very low repetitions. It's not going to make you bulky because the lower the repetition range is not um, at a physiological range that's going to increase muscle mass necessarily, but it gets you strong and keeps your bones healthy and you feel good. You just feel like stronger and more confident in your body because you just feel, you know, strong. So that's the key. Um, but when we start overdoing things, that becomes very detrimental to, uh, to everything, not only our energy. Yeah. And it's it's rough, right? Because you know that person has the best intention. You know, that's mm-hmm. what breaks my heart is when someone is working out so much because they think it's good for them. Yep. Or that person is eating that fat-free something or that gluten-free something thinking that it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And this is why we have to kind of look closer at our actions when it comes to exercise and food um, and not just go with what looks pretty on the outside or what looks like it's true on the outside. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think just to add to that for the exercise thing too, I don't want to give people the the idea that I'm saying you have to go to the gym. Like I personally can't, I I don't like going to the gym, so I turn my garage into a gym. But I, I would rather spend most of my time outdoors. I would rather spend time playing tennis, playing soccer, um, doing things in nature. So find for you, it's, it's actually very much like eating, right? Find for you what you're going to enjoy. Because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to stick to it. And if you don't stick to it, you're not going to see lasting results. So find the thing for you that you enjoy and do that. Understand that, I'm, not, I'm just going to make a caveat to that, walking 
I don't consider a strenuous type of exercise. So walking is like breathing. You should do it every day anyways. But you want to find something a little bit more challenging than walking. Maybe it's walking uphill, something to get you huffing and puffing, something to challenge your muscles that you enjoy on a regular basis that isn't insane that you can stick to and that you get pleasure from as well. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Yuri, I have two questions that I like to ask everybody, all the newbies on the podcast. Bring it. The, the first one is if you could share something, what's something that when it happened felt seemed horrible but ended up becoming a big blessing? So something that was horrible at the time, but it, when you look back, was a big blessing. Well, sure, this is easy for me. I mean, when I was 17, I lost all my hair in six weeks to an autoimmune condition because I just ate like crap for 15 years. So at the time, I was like, okay, what's going on? But that was, I mean, that was kind of like my my dharma or my karma, whatever whatever the word is. If that didn't happen to me, I don't know that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, so I'm very, I'm very honored and, and blessed and grateful that that happened because it gave me the kick in the butt to pursue this journey and as a result help you know hundreds of thousands of people improve their health so that was the big moment for me oh that's great and then the last one is if you could be any kind of animal what would you be and why i would definitely be a lion yes. I, I, yeah i not for the not because they kill other animals and they're at the top of the food chain but i just i find that there's a I've, I have this weird um, desire to want to snuggle with them in the, in the wild. <laughs> like I want to be like the lion whisperer, but they'd probably like tear my head off. Yeah, don't try that, but it's a good, good yeah. dream to have. <laughs> I just, I find, um, I love animals. I mean, I've got two dogs and they're just amazing. And I, I find that, you know, there's just, lions are pretty chill. I did a, I remember doing a project on them in grade six. And I remember learning that they're the laziest cats in the world. They sleep like 18 hours a day. And not that I want to sleep 18 hours a day, but I just, there's something about them that I really like. And I think they're just, you know, beautiful animals and yeah, it's, they're pretty cool. They are, they are very cool. That's, yeah. I like that. Everyone says birds, so I'm happy we're getting some other animals in here. <laughs> I agree. I think, I think it's like an insight to someone's personality too. Maybe. That's my yep. theory. So wonderful. So you are the lion. Well, thank you so much for being with us and just sharing so much. It was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jess. It was fun. Guys, false alarm. It's not really over. We're, we're back. Hey, Yuri. We're back for more. How's it going? <laughs> we're, we're back for more. Uh, because I forgot to ask you about this amazing gift that you're giving us. So can you tell us about it? Yeah, so to follow up the initial uh, book, The All Day Energy Diet, that became a New York Times bestseller, we created a cookbook because more of our readers wanted more recipes. And this past summer, we actually turned that into a physical cookbook. It was initially a downloadable thing, but we had so much great response that we turned it into a physical, full-color, beautiful cookbook, 67 recipes, all gluten, dairy-free, low in sugar, taste amazing, take less than 15 minutes to make. And we've got a couple thousand copies left in the warehouse because we printed a lot of them. So we've got a few extra to give to your audience. So if they'd like to get that, uh, it's we're basically giving it away for free and we're just asking that you cover the cost of shipping to help us out a little bit on that. And that's it. So I'll give you the, the website if you want for that. It's yes. alldayenergydiet.com forward slash cookbook. And you can grab it there and they'll ship it off to you uh, in the next couple of days. Awesome. That is such a generous and amazing gift. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 